May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome all of you out there in YouTube land as well. In 1997, this letter appeared in the Ann Landers column in newspapers across the country. And it went like this. Dear Ann Landers, you recently printed a sweet story about how we met. The woman said at the end of World War II, she sat behind a soldier in church. He knew all the lyrics to the songs they sang, so she figured he couldn't be all bad. Later, she learned he was a doctor. Three months later, she slipped on an icy walk and injured her arm. That same doctor treated her and insisted that she stay in the infirmary. And he visited her twice a day. When she was discharged, he asked her to the movies to celebrate. Then subsequently, they married in the same chapel where they had met. Now, if that story happened today, it would be a little different, I think. It would go more like this. Dear Ann Landers, recently I attended church services and noticed that the soldier in front of me knew all the words to the songs we sang. I figured anyone who knew all those lyrics was probably a member of some way-up religious sect. I bumped into him a month later, and after cussing him out and telling him to watch where he was going, I learned he was a doctor. A few weeks later, I slipped on an icy walk and injured my arm. After suing the property owner for everything I could get, this same doctor treated me and insisted that I stay in the infirmary. He made twice daily visits to see how I was, which made me suspicious. I complained to his supervisor and filed a sexual harassment suit. When I was finally discharged, the doctor asked if I would like to go see a movie to celebrate. I told the police he was a stalker and applied for a restraining order. When the doctor asked me to marry him in the same chapel where we had met, I called the FBI, searched his apartment to make sure there were no shrines built to me or bodies under the floorboards. But I married the guy anyway because, after all, doctors earn six-figure incomes. Sign, <laughs> tuned in and turned on in La Jolla, California. All right, I know that was silly, but, but I believe that there is something that has happened with interpersonal relationships in this country. You know, we're more fearful, more suspicious, less trusting, I think, than ever before. COVID-19 has made some of us fearful to even leave home. Many feel isolated and alone. And to make matters worse, there's protests and looting and violence all over our country occurring seemingly nightly. And with this backdrop, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And love is the fulfilling of the law. And then he tells us to lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think it really is that simple. If we only really loved our neighbors as ourselves, I think a lot of things would change. If we really loved our neighbors as ourselves, 
the violence would stop. If we really loved our neighbors as ourselves, we would reach out in love to those that are hurting. If we really loved our neighbors as ourselves, we would feed the poor, clothe the naked, and mend broken relationships. Oh, if we truly, truly loved our neighbors as ourselves, what a difference that could make in the world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, All is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In our gospel passage from Matthew, Jesus gives us instruction on how to go about reconciliation. If a member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. Jesus then said, Truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth, on anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That's a pretty stunning endorsement of corporate prayer. And I think it's important that we pray, but even more important that we pray together. We are a community. Better yet, we are a family. This sentence is part of a larger passage that emphasizes the importance of love among believers. Bruce Larson tells a, about a conversation that a missionary in India had by the name of Ruth Seabury. This conversation with a Hindu social worker. And at one point the social worker asked Ruth, do you think that most Christians know what they've got? Confused by the question, she asked what he meant. He said, every religion has a God. Every religion has an altar. Every religion has worshipers. And every religion believes in sacrifice. But only Christians have a savior. And only Christians have a congregation. I think this is a good question for us this morning. Do we know what we've got? Of course, we're blessed and grateful to have our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's impossible to overstate the importance of having a congregation. We're not simply a bunch of individuals. We are the body of Christ. And he's called us into a sacred relationship right here in this community, right here at St. Michael's. He's called us to be his family. We see in this passage, first of all, that in the family of Christ, we're responsible for one another. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. It's a tough teaching, isn't it? It's often overlooked because many of us shy away from confrontation at all costs. That would be me. Live and let live is our creed. And yet, confronting a fellow believer who is involved in a sin of any kind can be the most loving thing we can do. In this passage, Christ is calling us to hold one another accountable for our behavior. But he is not calling us to pass judgment on one another. There's a fine line there. But to care enough about one another to intervene if we see a friend about to make a serious mistake. If your brother or sister sins, 
go and point out the fault, Jesus said, just between the two of you. Don't make a big deal of it. Do it in a loving manner and keep it confidential. But friends don't let friends ruin their lives. It's an important passage of scripture. And yet, honestly, this would be very difficult for most of us to do. It would require an incredible amount of love and an incredible amount of courage. Author Chuck Colson says, too often we confuse love with permissiveness. It's not love to fail to dissuade another believer from sin any more than it is to fail to take matches away from a baby. I think the second thing we need to see is the power of a praying church. Remember Jesus said, again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. What an amazing promise. And sometimes it's challenging to understand, but it is very clear that there is great power in corporate Christian prayer. When Christian people work together, pray together, laugh together, and cry together, that's always been the strength of the Christian movement. What an opportunity we have. We have what the world so desperately needs. We have a Savior. And we have Christian love and fellowship. We may not be articulate theologians, but we can be a friend to someone, someone who's hurting, either here in this church or outside these walls. I think that's what it means to, to love God, love others, and serve the world. That is our task. That is the ministry which Christ has called us. To be a caring, loving community. We're to come alongside of those who are hurting and lift them up. And we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Cahil Gibran once said that we can forget about those whom we've la with whom we've laughed, but we can never forget those with whom we've cried. Millions of people who have been through trying times have felt the love and support of a Christian brother or sister, and they can attest to the power of that support. Last week, Father Greg told us that we're called to be agents of salvation. And today I'm suggesting that we're also called to be agents of reconciliation. One of St. Michael's parishioners has faced every parent's worst nightmare. On February 7, 2009, her beautiful 24-year-old daughter, Emily, was struck and killed in a crosswalk by a drunk driver. As a parent myself, it's hard to imagine the grief, pain, and anger that she went through. She referred to the driver as the man who killed my daughter. The mother said that she felt like she had fallen off the end of the world, and she didn't want to live. Finally, months later, justice was served, and he was convicted and sentenced to 20 years to life for the crime. But waves of grief and anger continued to wash over her. Then, amazingly, one day, she saw a bumper sticker in a grocery store parking lot. And it read, Love Wins. 
At that point, she realized that she would need to forgive or die. She decided that she wanted to meet this man, so she called the Department of Corrections in California, and what ensued was eight months of counseling, which led to a meeting with the offender at San Quentin Prison. Incredibly, when he came into the small yellow room where they were going to meet, she asked him if she could give him a hug. He said, yes, ma'am. Both of them cried during that embrace. And that was the beginning of forgiveness and reconciliation. Now today, she helps others who have gone through similar experiences with an organization called Restorative Justice. And she communicates regularly with the fellow in prison, no longer calls him the man who killed her daughter, but rather by his given name. And she has a message for us today. It's a very important message. And that message is we can all take the first step. Forgiveness and reconciliation are possible for all of us, no matter how hard it may seem. Is there someone in your life that you need to be reconciled with? You see, we are to take the first step towards reconciliation of broken relationship. It's not about who was right and who was wrong. Take the first step. Just do it. We have a tremendous opportunity that Christ has given us. We are responsible for one another. And we're to be agents of reconciliation in a broken and troubled world. We're to reach out with Christian love and support. But there's one more thing that I think needs to be said. The body of Christ is much more than the sum of its individual parts. For when two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he is there with them. What an incredible crowning conclusion to this passage. For when two or three are gathered in my name, he said, I am there among them. I think the whole meaning of Christian faith can be summed up in one word, relationship. A relationship with God and a relationship with each other. As Fred Buckner has written, faith is not so much believing this thing or that about God as it is about hearing a voice, a voice which says, come unto me. We hear the voice. And then we start to go without really knowing what to believe, either about the voice or ourselves. Faith at this point is standing in the darkness, and a hand is there, and we take it. To expand on Buckner's analogy, we take the hand of God, and then we reach out in the darkness and take the hand of a neighbor. That's what we are, and that's what we're all about. Pastor David Utley tells about a Christian man who knew his time was near. So he sent word for his family to come home so he could see them one last time. Even though his children all had families of their own by this time, they all set out on the trek to go back home. 
and after they'd been home a while visiting, the father called them all into the room where he'd been bedridden for weeks. When they entered and formed a line around his bed so he could see them all, he told them to go outside and each bring in a nice-sized stick, like this. Now, it sounded strange, but seeing the shape their father was in, they did as he asked. They each brought in a nice stick. And as they gathered around the bed, the old man told them to start breaking their sticks one by one by one by one by one. After everyone had broken their stick, he told them to go back out in the yard and get another stick. Now, this seemed really odd to the children, but they did what their father asked, because after all, he was soon going to be with the Lord. After they all got their stick and gathered around the bed, he told them to put all their sticks together and bring them to him. When they had done this, he pulled out some fishing line and told them to tie the bundle tightly at each end. And then he told the children to try to break the bundle of sticks. One by one, they all tried to break it, but they couldn't do it. The fathers then said, I just want you to know that if you stick together, it will be harder to break you. And what's true of a family is true of a church as well. The closer we are to Christ and the closer we are to each other, the greater the impact will be on the world. Do we know what we have? We have what the world so desperately needs and cannot provide. We have a Savior and we have a congregation. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Amen.